Spiritual violence. What comes to your mind when you hear the word violence? Abuse? Beating? War? Yeah? Conflict? Right? Controversy? You know that Jesus was... uh, was someone who caused controversy? Now think about that for a few moments. And we're going to get into this this study about spiritual violence. I was at the mechanics shop a few weeks ago. And while I was reading a book in the uh, in the waiting room, the mechanic's wife approached me. Now she she understood I'm a pastor. So she she approached me and she asked me a question which turned into several questions. You know how that goes. And uh, now, I like how, and I, I am encouraged by, and we all should be encouraged, as we talked about earlier uh, this morning, encouraged by answers to prayer. Right? That should be an encouragement to us, to know that God is hearing us. And that, uh, um, especially, let me put, now let me clarify that, especially if it's answered in the way that we kind of think we'd want it to be answered. You know, sometimes he gives us an answer that we're like, "Well, I don't understand that," but you know, um, that's not quite what I was thinking. But I want to do the Lord's will, right? Now, I prayed that very morning, like I do most every morning, that the Lord would open a door for me to witness to somebody uh, that day. And here was an answer to that prayer. I mean, she approached me and and asked me a question. And like I said, it's a great feeling to know that the Lord hears us when we pray. This dear lady asked me if you had... Well, the very first question. She said, Do you have to attend church to believe in Jesus? And then as we began talking, I realized she she was coming from a, a bad experience uh, raised as a Catholic. And that Catholic background, you see, you attend Mass, you attend church. But especially Mass. See, so I began to kind of put puzzle pieces together and understand where she was coming from. And I spent the next 30 minutes sharing scriptures with her and answering questions and encouraging her to trust that Jesus loves her. <laughs> you know, you don't have to show up there. You're not anathema because you're not in that organization. And I gave her a book to read. And uh, she jotted down our church website. She wanted to check it out. And she also asked me a lot about how she could join us for worship over Paltalk. And so I want you to to keep her in in uh, uh, your prayers. You know, God loves us to answer our prayers if we pray in faith and by faith, not wavering back and forth as Jesus said, like the reed bouncing back and forth. It happens that I had to take our other vehicle the, to the shop the next day, go back to this mechanic, and I made it a priority not only to speak uh, to her. I wanted to speak to her uh, again, but also to let the mechanic know. I wanted him to know how much I really appreciated uh, his work. Um, I really appreciate his work and I appreciate his help. He's helped us out uh, quite often, actually. And um, as as my brother-in-law, Tony works for a service department and I I want him to know that I appreciate the times that he has helped us out and I I thank him so much for that. You know, so many times our family and our friends and others get beat down every day. 
you know, just by life's experiences. And they need a good word in season, isn't that right? Need a good word in season to cheer them up. And I wanted the mechanic to know how well I thought of him and his work. And later on, as I was, uh, uh, as I turned to leave the shop, the mechanic. It was very interesting. Uh, if you, if you would just know this guy, you know him, Tom. Uh huh. He he gently, <laughs> very gently, placed his hand on my shoulder, which was just kind of strange. Usually with guys, you know, like hey. You know, but but very just very gently, he put his hand on my shoulder to gain my attention, and he told me about a young relative of his that at the at 21 years of age was just told that he had cancer, and he asked me if I would pray for him. And I talked to to Tom for several moments, and uh, I encouraged him, and and I said, when you see this young man. Uh, tell him what I've told you. And uh, that Jesus loves each of us. And Jesus wants to heal us. And uh, and some other scriptures. And, and I, I assured him that I would answer him, uh, that I would uh, add him uh, to my prayer list. And in fact, I think he's on the church prayer list. Um, but it's a great feeling to know and I don't want us to get wrapped up in feelings per se, but it is. It's a great encouragement. It's a great feeling to know that God cares enough about you and I to hear and answer our prayers. The grace of God is a wonderful thing to experience. And I want to speak to you about this uh, in our study. There are many ways to experience the grace of God isn't there? There are many ways to experience it. Just like there is, uh, uh, there are many ways that we experience the world around us. Right? Have you ever noticed, let me give you this example, and I'm sure you have. Have you ever noticed how different companies uh, will use different ways to appeal to our senses in order to sell their products? Right? Certain tool companies, they use bikini-clad girls in their advertising to attract those male mechanics. That's sad, really. It's sad that it works. That says something about our society, doesn't it? Banks will offer free merchandise to get our attention in the hope that we'll use their business. You know, marketing firms, they are well aware that people can be reached through all of their senses. What they can taste, what they can smell, what they can see, what they can feel, of course, what they can hear. Now, God knows all about how to reach people through their senses too. And I want to share with you a way that God used our sense of smell to teach us about His character. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Exodus chapter 30. Let's take a look at this. God uses many methods to reach us. Jared, Exodus chapter 30. Let's look at verse 34. We'll begin with verse 34. Now, the Lord is speaking to Moses here, and He says... He says, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte, 
Ananica and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. 34. Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte, anica, and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be a like weight. Okay? And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered, that means it needs to be heated in the mixing process, uh, tempered together, pure and holy, the Lord says. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put a, of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume, this is verse 37, and as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. So what is God saying here? Make perfume that smells like that to spring yourself. Yeah, for your own pleasure to do with as you wish. Now this incense was a blend of those four kinds of spices in equal proportions. Stacte, galbanum, and frankincense, they're all resins, and anica was derived from a certain mollusk shell that was familiar with that area. So they'd grind these things up and they'd mix them in equal parts. Now when you take incense, and that's what this is called, this is incense, this powder, this, this product, and you take it and you put it in a censer. Do you know what a censer is? It was that, that. Have you ever seen some of the old pictures of like an old oil lamp, per se? A censer is similar to that, only it's more round. It's what the. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. It's what the priest carry. And you put that in a censer and you put coals of fire in the censer, then you begin to have smoke, right? But it's not ordinary smoke in this case. It's not ordinary smoke. Uh, some smoke you smell, I mean, it just burns your senses, doesn't it? It just, you're like, ugh, that stinks. <laughs> My wife, I'll smell something that smells like trash burning, and she'll smell and go, hey, that smells pretty good. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, how can you like that? You know? But what about a campfire? Sometimes you, you get uh, mesquite wood or a certain type of wood and you smell it and it's kind of a pleasing smell, isn't it? Here you have this perfume that the Lord has put together, this incense. You put it in a, 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 uh, a censer. You put coals to it, it. You have smoke and it's a sweet-smelling fragrance or an aroma. And when they put this incense in the sanctuary, all of the sanctuary was filled with this aroma. All of it. The aroma went beyond the sanctuary as well. You know, we, we heat our home with wood, and I've been talking to neighbors before, and they've said, hey, we can smell your, your, uh, your stove when you're burning wood. It smells good. So it does, it's not confined. It goes out wherever the wind blows, doesn't it? And so they, they go, it would go out past the sanctuary. It even went beyond the court. So as you approach the sanctuary of the Lord, what is it that you're going to smell? You're not going to smell these stinky animals, you know. 
necessarily that, that come up for sacrifice that the people were bringing up for sacrifice and they were slain. You're not going to smell the flesh and stuff, are you? What are you going to smell? You're going to smell this aroma, aren't you? And you could smell this incense as you got closer and closer to it. Jewish tradition says that you could smell the aroma of the incense approximately a quarter of a mile away from the sanctuary. And I can believe that. And that's from this incense in a censer on on coals. It's not like a roaring fire that you're continually throwing and billowing smoke everywhere. Now, this was in the Old Covenant. And this fragrance in the Old Covenant, in fact, everything that uh, uh, in the Old Covenant represents something in the New Covenant ministry of Christ, doesn't it? Would you agree with that? Everything in the Old Covenant experience represents something in the New Covenant ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 8. We're going to see what this incense represents in the New Covenant, in the ministry of Jesus. In the Gospel. Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. That's Revelation chapter 8. Sorry, Josh. Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. So here you have an angel who comes into the heavenly sanctuary right into the presence of God. He has a censer with a lot of incense in it. Right? This is what the description is now. This incense is offered before God with your prayer. Isn't that interesting? Whenever you pray, along with your prayer, incense comes up before God. A sweet-smelling aroma. Okay? Now this this incense in the Old Testament, this sweet smelling fragrance or uh, aroma must represent something, right? It's got to represent something. And it is something, as we've read here in Revelation 8, it's something that happens in heaven. Now incense comes out of a censer. And I'm... I'm not going to get into what the, the, the censer represents. I'll leave that up to you. You can go through the Old Testament and, and do your own study. I don't want to take time to do that uh, with you this morning, but I encourage you to do that on your own. But in the Old Testament, Josh uh, touched on it. In the Old Testament, who was it that usually carried a censer? Right? It was a priest, right? The priest had a censer, especially the high priest. You can read in Leviticus 16 uh, about him taking the censer and the smoke coming up out of the censer as he went into the second apartment of the most holy place uh, of the sanctuary. So, the incense is associated then with the work of who? The priest, right? 
a high priest. Now, let me ask you a question, and this may be simple. You may already know the answer. You know, maybe not. Maybe it's not clear for you. Who and what is a priest? Have you ever thought about it? Now, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they have priests. Protestant churches do not have priests. And there's a reason for that. We're going to see in a moment. So what is a priest? If you had to define to, to someone, asked you what a priest was, what would you say? What would you say? The leader. The, the leader? What is a priest? The leader of what? The church? Leader of the church? Anybody? If somebody said, what is a priest? You say, well, the priest is a leader of the church. Think like true. It's like a pastor. He's like what? Minister? A priest is someone... Let's get a little bit more specific here. You're not necessarily wrong. <laughs> but let's get a little more specific. A priest is someone who intercedes or is a go-between or is an advocate between God and someone else. You see what I'm saying? That's what a priest is. That's why I'm in heaven. Ah. In the Old Testament, if you were... Um, If you were not a priest, okay, let's go back to the Old Testament. If you were not a priest, could you go into the sanctuary? You couldn't go into the sanctuary, right? Remember now, we're talking about the Old Testament. I'm not talking about the New Testament right now, okay? I'm talking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, unless you were a priest, you could not go into the sanctuary. Now, in the Old Testament, did you have to have the services of a priest in order for your sins to be forgiven. Yes. In the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Let's now think think through what I'm asking here. In the Old Testament, did you have to have the services of a priest in order for your sins to be forgiven? Yes, you did. Right? And by the way, that's something that... um, that's something to always remember. If someone should say to you, well, everything was finished at the cross. <laughs> the cross represents the sacrifice, doesn't it? And you have to have a sacrifice, but you cannot have your sins forgiven by just having the sacrifice. After the sacrifice was killed, the priest had to take either the blood or the flesh into the sanctuary and administer it there in order for your sins to be forgiven. So it didn't all just end at the cross. That's just the sacrifice. And this is also made clear in Leviticus chapter 4, and we've studied that before, but I encourage you to study that again. You have to have a priest in order for your sins to be forgiven. And let me tell you something, this is still true today. Did you know that? You have to have a priest in order for your sins to be forgiven. And the incense, let's remember now, this incense that we're talking about is always associated with the priest who's an intercessor, right? Now, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, who is our high priest? Jesus. Jesus is. When I say you have to have a priest in order to have your sins forgiven, I mean, is this... What? What are you saying, Pastor Joel? Friends, we still have to have a priest in order to have our sins forgiven. But who is our priest? See, that's the question. 
Almost the entire book of Hebrews is about this, if you study the book of Hebrews. In the Old Covenant, it was Aaron and his sons who were the priests, right? You had to be a son of Aaron to be a priest. But in the New Covenant, who's our high priest again? Jesus is our high priest. So you see, we still have to have a priest to have our sins forgiven, don't we? What does this incense then that the priest has represent? Remember, the priest is an intercessor. Jesus is our high priest. He has incense. What does that incense represent? Remember, it was associated with the priest. Somebody that's going to help you have your sins forgiven. Well, since a priest uh, mediates or intercedes, the incense has to have something to do with the intercession or mediation of Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Now, when the blood was taken from an animal, we'll go back to the Old Testament here, we're in the sanctuary. When the blood was taken from that animal sacrifice into the sanctuary, what did that blood represent? The blood of Jesus. How do you know? Well, the Word tells us, doesn't it? Leviticus 17 and 11. Verse 11. I want to be more specific. What did the blood itself represent? You're not wrong, Alex. It does. It is a symbol of what Jesus did at Calvary. He shed His blood. But what is it about the blood? That's maybe a better way of asking it. What is it about the blood? What, what does this blood represent then? Leviticus 17.11 For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. That's Leviticus 17 and verse 11. So what does the blood represent? When he says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. What can we say? It represents life, doesn't it? You know too many people... uh, You know, it's very interesting when you look at society and you look at cultures, you can see... uh, um, You can can get a good idea or let's say a hint of what Satan's trying to do with the minds of people in different ways. Like let's say TV and movies, for example. When, when I was a young kid, there used to be horror movies, but they're nothing like what you see today. Nothing. There's a, a, a ton of gore and flesh in these types of movies. But you also didn't see anything when I was young about zombies. You know what I mean? Now there was an old movie that was, you know, The Living Dead or something like that. And these were supposed human beings who had no blood. Alright? A zombie. They're living, but they have no blood. There's a lie right there, isn't it? We read Leviticus 17.11. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. If you don't have any blood, you're not going to be living. So the blood represents life. And in this particular case, it represents the life of an innocent that was given on behalf of somebody that was guilty. Because we read there, I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. 
For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Life for life. So when Jesus comes into the presence of God, the Father, to intercede for you and me, what does He have that could take away our guilt? What does He present? What does He have that can take away our guilt? The life is in the blood. He says, my blood, Father, essentially what is He saying? My life for their life. Do you see it? It is His righteous life which is represented by the blood. Hebrews, in fact, you read in Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9.22 says, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Remission means forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That means death. You take somebody's blood, they're dead. They're not a zombie. They're dead. There's a danger to watching things like that. It can fill your mind with error. And there are a lot of people... Beloved, I want to tell you how blessed you are, each one of you, and those that can hear me. How blessed we are that the Lord is leading us into the truth of His Word. Because in society out there, there are so much errors in people's mind that they don't know what the truth is. And it's serious. It is a blessing to know these truths. It is a blessing. So, Jesus comes into the heavenly sanctuary with His life and His blood in order that we might receive forgiveness. Now some ask, and maybe you've run into this before, maybe not. I know a lot of you are young, you haven't had a whole lot of opportunities maybe to share your faith and be asked questions. But some ask, well, why does Christ have to come into the presence of the Father to intercede for us? I mean, is, is the Father angry with us in some way? He has to be appeased? That's going to come up. You'll, you'll run into that. Because you see, the Bible truth, uh, especially the Adventist movement, are the only, it's the only movement. The church of God, the true church of God on this earth is the only movement that has this truth of the sanctuary. It's the only one that teaches it. So when you go out and you're teaching this to other people, they don't know what you... Of course, they know, oh, Jesus was our Passover lamb. You ask them about Passover, they don't have a clue what the Passover is. Except that you killed a lamb and Jesus died at Calvary. That's pretty much it. So you will run into these types of questions. Is the Especially in Christendom, this is their theology. That the Father has to be appeased. Because He's angry with us. This is their theology. That includes the Catholic Church. They're big proponents of this. It wasn't... so With Catholics, it isn't so much that Jesus died on the cross. That's not the big thing with Catholics because have you ever seen the crucifix? He's still on there. It's that Jesus suffered. See? See, that's what the devil likes. He likes you to have a picture of Jesus suffering because that makes him happy. Jesus was suffering. To them, it's not the blood that he shed. 
or the righteous life. It's Him suffering. I challenge you. You go read. Read. Read up on the Catholic religion. Read up on their canon laws. They put a complete emphasis on the suffering of Jesus. And of people. And why was Jesus suffering? Because the Father's angry at us. And He's taking it out on Jesus who gave up Himself to come down here and take all that punishment and vengeance of the Father so that we may be saved. That's the theology of Christendom today. And the only people that are preaching against that and teaching against that are people who know their Bibles. Mainly Adventists. And I'll tell you this, a lot of Adventists don't know their Bibles. So you're going to run into people and say, why does Christ have to come into the presence of the Father and intercede for us? Is He, is he angry with us? Ninety-some percent of all Christians will say, yeah, He's angry with us. And they don't know the true God. I'm going to tell you, a lot of people are mixed up on it. And they think that Adventists, for the most part, believe that the Father is angry with them. So, Jesus has to be begging the Father, see? He's our advocate because we need somebody to go beg the Father not to pour out His vengeance upon us. But what do you do with something like John 3.16 which says, For God so loved the world that He gave. What, what, what do you do with that? See? How do you answer such a question? If somebody was to come to you and ask you those questions, how would you answer it? Let me ask you this question. And maybe this, is, this will give you a little hint on how you'd answer the question. Is there anyone that is accusing you before the Father? Making accusations against you. Yes, there is. In Zechariah 3 and verse 1, it says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And that word uh, resist there in the Hebrew means to accuse or act as an adversary. He was accusing him. Beloved, we have a court case that's going on. Do you know that? Now as Adventists, it's been taught. You've heard it. You've heard it from this pulpit. We've gone through it. A lot of people, like I said, the Old Testament, you throw it out of way. And a lot of Christendom Especially the sanctuary. But you know what you get out of the sanctuary, a study of the sanctuary? We're in a judgment. There's a court case going on right now in heaven and you and I are defendants and we cannot defend ourselves. We cannot defend ourselves because we have sinned and the wages of sin is what? According to Paul and a number of other places. The wages of sin is death. And unless someone takes our case, that means we're going to die an eternal death. Not just asleep. Our salvation is fully and completely dependent upon Jesus. And we're to cooperate with Him. But as we cooperate with Him, we need to always recognize where the power comes from in that cooperation. Because it doesn't come from us. The Bible says you have to overcome your sins, but unless you receive the power from Jesus, 
Will you overcome your sins? How many have been trying to overcome their sins without Jesus? How many will agree with me that it doesn't work? Unless you receive the power from Christ, you won't overcome. You see, we have to have His mediation. We have to have His righteousness applied to our case. You must experience His life-changing grace. Hey, that's kind of rhymes, doesn't it? You see, friends, this is part of the fragrance of His character. We were talking about fragrance, weren't we? With the incense. This is a part of the fragrance of His character. He came and took your place and mine so that He could give to us His righteousness and take our guilt upon Himself. That is fragrance. A divine fragrance. And that is what this incense that burns on the censer represents. The fragrance of the righteousness of Jesus. And that's what's mingled with our prayers. Let me read something to you about this. It's from Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 344. um, Yeah, this is the right one. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 344. The religious services, the prayers, the praise, the penitent confession of sin ascend from true believers as incense to the heavenly sanctuary. But passing through the corrupt channels of humanity... They are so defiled that unless purified by blood, they can never be of value with God. That goes right along with biblical principles. If you're being disobedient, you don't have Christ alive in your your life, your prayers go about as far as the ceiling. You understand? That should encourage us to give our lives to Jesus so God will hear our prayers, right? She says, they are so defiled that unless purified by blood, they can never be of value with God. They ascend not in spotless purity, and unless the intercessor, who is at God's right hand, presents and purifies all by His righteousness, it is not acceptable to God. All incense from earthly tabernacles, that's us, we're earthly tabernacles. All incense... From earthly tabernacles must be moist with the cleansing drops of the blood of Christ. I like these descriptions. If something's moist, it's not stained. I mean, just just stained, dried stains. That means it's fresh. She says he holds before the Father the censer of his own merits in which there is no taint of earthly corruption. He gathers into the censer the prayers, the praise, and the confessions of His people, and with these He puts His own spotless righteousness. Then, perfumed with the merits of Christ's propitiation, that means substitute, the incense comes up before God wholly, that means completely, and entirely acceptable. Then, gracious answers And this is what I want to encourage you with. She says, Then gracious answers are returned. 
Oh no, that all may see that everything in obedience, in penitence, in praise and thanksgiving must be placed upon the glowing fire of the righteousness of Christ. The fragrance of this righteousness ascends like a cloud around the mercy seat. Just like when they burned it in the old sanctuary and it, it went out, filled the whole sanctuary. I don't know about you, but I think that's beautiful. When we pray, does our petition to God ascend out of holiness? Are we holy? No. It ascends out of corruption. This is what she's talking about. Our prayers come from corrupt channels of humanity. But when Jesus puts with our prayers the incense of His righteousness and His merit, His blood... There is life to our prayers. A righteous life to our prayers. Then something wonderful happens. We are going to receive a gracious answer from the God of heaven. Now, what if I were to tell uh, tell you that exercising faith in the merits of Christ's uh, righteousness was committing spiritual violence. What would you think? By exercising, if we exercise faith in the merits of Christ's righteousness, we would be committing spiritual violence. What do you think about that? Well, yeah. We'd be against the enemy of God, so it's okay. I want you to meditate on that for a moment. Look at our scripture reading and think about our scripture reading for today. Right, Tyler? Matthew 11 and verse 12. This was our scripture reading for today. Remember it sounded, you read it and you go, what does that mean? Right? Need to move along here, I suppose. Matthew 11 and verse 12, our scripture reading for today said, And from the days of John the Baptist. So, John the Baptist here. John the Baptist is a dividing line, in essence, between Old Covenant and New Covenant. Okay? That's why Jesus says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I'll ask you again, have you ever wondered what that means? When you read that, do you think, what does that mean? Who are the violent? Do you know who the violent are? Now? Let's think back to the Old Covenant. No? In the Old Covenant, who was the only one who could go into the sanctuary? The priests, right? But now, here's the good news. John the Baptist is sent to introduce God's people to the privileges of the New Covenant. Okay? Jesus said that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. What is this spiritual violence that Jesus is talking about? In the Old Covenant, you were dependent upon a human priest to go into the sanctuary for you. But in the New Covenant, you can go in yourself. 
You do not need to wait for some preacher or priest or someone else to get forgiveness for you. You can go directly to God yourself. And if you exercise spiritual violence, you can get the answer to your prayer right now. Did Daniel get an answer to his prayer right then? When he was thrown in the lion's den? Friends, we need to understand this subject. We need to exercise spiritual violence. God has ordained that you can have spiritual power. Divine power in your life. But you're going to have to be spiritually violent to attain it. You're going to have to go and take it. Let me read you some things about that. Review and Herald. It's an article entitled The Prayer That God Accepts. February 9th, 1897. The violence here meant, and she's speaking about Matthew 11 and verse 12. She says, The violence here meant is a holy earnestness such as Jacob manifested. Jacob was there on the, the bank. He'd sent his family ahead. He knew he was going to be meeting Esau. He may be dead tomorrow. His whole family may even be wiped out. And here comes a stranger. And Jacob grabs him and they're wrestling. Right? And it turns out, he thinks it's a stranger who wants to do him harm, but it turns out, who is it? It's God, isn't it? He's wrestling with God. Spiritual violence. (laughs) You see? She says... A holy earnestness. That's what it means. A holy earnestness an earnestness such as Jacob manifested. We need not try to work ourselves up into an intense feeling, but calmly, persistently, we are to press our petitions at the throne of grace. How do you press your petition to the throne of grace? What's that mean? You pray? Right? Be consistent. Persist in it. Persevere in it. Our work is to humble our souls before God, confessing our sins, and in faith drawing nigh unto God. The Lord answered the prayer of Daniel, not that Daniel might glorify himself, but that the blessing might reflect glory to God. It is the design. I mean, you imagine, Daniel prays to God, deliver me from these... Lions, and then when they pull him out alive, he says, Yeah, the lions, you know, I taped their mouths shut and I did. All glory went to God, didn't it? Because God did something miraculous. So you're making the announcements and praises. I don't have money. Everybody who's involved in this project, there's no money except for the, these particular donors who God moved upon to contact us. That's an answer to prayer. And all glory then goes to God. We can't go around and say, I did this, I did that, oh, I put a couple million dollars into this project. I can't do that. Can you do that? Who gets the glory then? God gets the glory. She says, it is the design of God to reveal Himself in His providence and in His grace. 
The object of our prayers must be the glory of God, not the glorification of ourselves. There's a principle. The object of our prayers must be the glory of God. I challenge you to go through the Bible and in every prayer that you will read that is in the Bible, those prayers, the object of those prayers are the glory of God. I challenge you. Find one that isn't from a saint. Find one that isn't. Here's another one. Manuscript Releases, Volume 17, page 131. The worker who labors in humble dependence upon God, seeking His counsel at every step, will be guided by heavenly wisdom. Let them not trust in their own feeble efforts, but trust in God and pray to Him in faith. Ever remember that the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. We need to cultivate that persevering faith which will hold fast to the promises. Humble yourself, but exalt God. Empty the soul of selfishness and sin and lay hold of God's power. Grab it. It's there for us to grab. Like I said earlier today, the power of God is inherent already in His promises. You ever wondered why Jesus always said, if you would just believe. And when you scratch your head and go, seems like they were believing. No, they weren't. Because the power is already there. You see? Is it making sense? Then you sit there and say, I can't overcome this. You're not grabbing that promise. You're not acting on it in faith. Empty the soul of selfishness and sin and lay hold of God's power. Then you can claim His promise, ask and you shall receive. Here's one more. 1888 Materials. Page 868. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence because she quotes Matthew 11 verse 12. What an encouragement to every soul. When, armed with the promises of God, you come to the Father in the name of Jesus, the great intercessor is seen by faith, standing at the altar of incense and having in his hand the golden censer. You hear his voice saying, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. What hope will fill your poor, discouraged heart? What shame and remorse will you feel for your cherished unbelief? Friends, the reason that the reason we don't overcome the sins in our life isn't because it's God's fault. Is it? We're not grabbing His promises by faith and acting on them. We're not taking it. When you get spiritually violent and come directly to the Father in Heaven in Jesus' name, when you read the promises of the Bible, you say, Lord, I am willing to fulfill all the conditions and I want this to happen in my life, you know what? It will start happening in your life. That is spiritual violence, friends. Beloved, there there are many of you that are just waiting for something good to happen. Isn't that true? Most time we just sit around and we'll wait. We're waiting on the Lord. Now I'm not saying we're not to wait on the Lord in some instances. But for the majority, we just sit and we wait. We're waiting for something good to happen. 
You're hoping and desiring that in some way, somehow, you supernaturally will experience the grace of God. But I want to tell you something. You're not going to be saved unless you become spiritually violent. And I want you to know that I use that term very advisedly. I'm not talking about fighting. I'm not talking about rebellious violence. I'm talking about spiritual violence. This is when a person says, I'm going to go to the Lord. I'm going to accept what He says and trust that what God says He will make happen in my life. I'm going to go to the Heavenly Father in Jesus' name and I'll say, this is what it says in your Word. I'm going to go do my part and I'm depending upon the intercession of Jesus to make this happen in my life. Do you think it will happen or that it won't happen? It will happen because it's already that power is inherent in His promise and you're acting on it. That is what the censer and the incense are for. So that His righteousness and intercession can be combined with your prayers and then miracles will happen in your life. There are many people, beloved, that are just sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting for something to miraculously happen. Oh, I prayed to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? It's time for them to do something and become spiritually violent. To say, Lord, this is what Your promise says and I want it to happen in my life. And you don't just leave it there. You act on it. Notice this statement. Review and Herald, October 5th, 1886. We must work by faith. You've heard that before, right? We must work by faith. Well, what is that? We must work by faith. Then she quotes Matthew 11, verse 12. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. We are to pray, believe our prayers are heard, and then work. That's what Jesus means when He says, Believe on Me. Pray. Believe it's been heard. If you pray in faith, that means you trust it. Believe it's been heard and then start working. Jesus said that man should live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you believe that? Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find it. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Was he lying? Well, we seem to live our lives as if he's lying to us. <laughs> Verse 8, For everyone that asketh, receiveth. Was he lying? <laughs> no. And he that seeketh, findeth. Never lie. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Let me put it to you this way, beloved. It is not presumptuous to expect the Lord to keep His Word if we exercise faith in it. How does that sound? Think about that. Well, I don't want to be presumptuous. It is not presumptuous to expect the Lord to keep His Word if you exercise faith in it. That's not being presumptuous of God. 
that's what he wants each of us to do. It's not being presumptuous to believe that God's going to keep his word and acting on it. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what you said I'm going to be like. This is what you said my experience is to be. I'm depending upon you to fulfill your word. I'm going to do what you say and I am just depending on you to make it happen. And then start working. Believe that He heard your prayer. You prayed it in faith. And start working. That's spiritual violence. When you do that. And I'm going to tell you something. You will see miracles happen in your life. There are so many people that are just waiting for something to happen. And it, it can happen now. You don't need to wait. If we do our part by exercising faith, it will happen now. I've experienced it. I am experiencing it right now. Beloved, I'm going to tell you, it's an amazing thing to see what the Lord can do in your life. It's amazing. If you'll completely trust and obey Him. I mean, I'm experiencing it. Do you want to experience God's grace in your life? Trust God and exercise faith. Exercise spiritual violence and believe that He will do for you what He has promised you. And you will move mountains. They'll be moved from your pathway. Jesus said to the disciples, if you had faith of the grain of a mustard seed, they didn't understand how to exercise spiritual violence. Not until after the cross. Let me ask you this question. Has God promised to deliver you from the shackles of sin in your life? Yep. Of course He has. The Lord can help you to overcome any problems you have, any sin in your life. Jesus has the power, and if you become spiritually violent, and claim that power that Jesus has for you, and do what the Bible says, you can have God's grace in your life. But you're going to have to become spiritually violent and actually do something about it. You just can't sit around and do nothing. Well, I prayed. Doesn't hurt to pray. Have you ever heard that? Well, it wouldn't hurt to pray. It's like um, children of Israel, Moses, when they were bringing the women into the camp. Yeah. Phineas acted on it. By the way, you don't pray to the Lord to help you get to Georgia and then start driving north from here. <laughs> you know, if you're in Florida, you would start driving north. But, but that, that doesn't work. That's what some people do. You have to say, Lord, help me to overcome drinking, and then you go downtown and buy a case of beer. You just don't do it. I mean, does that make sense? Do you expect the Lord to answer your prayer when you're doing that kind of thing? To overcome a besetting uh, a sin, you're going to have to exercise faith and you're going to have to take action. You're not going to overcome it without divine help and this means you have to become spiritually violent. The New Testament tells us that we are all to be priests. And so we can come boldly to the throne of grace, can't we? Priests are the only ones that could go into the sanctuary. We could all go into the presence of God through Jesus and receive the power that we need to overcome. Priests can enter the sanctuary. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. I 
I'm just going to move ahead, beloved. You can write these down because uh, I think I've taken too long. First Peter two five. Ye also are lively stones, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Peter says to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So in the new covenant, all faithful followers of God are priests. This is one of the foundational doctrines of Protestantism. You realize that? You know that in the uh, Reformation, there were three principal doctrines that the Protestants disagreed with with the papacy. There were a number of things, but there were three principal ones. And all of them are still issues today, by the way. The first one was that the, that um, Holy Spirit-inspired writings are the rule of faith and practice and not tradition. That was the first one. The second one was that we receive righteousness by the grace of Christ through faith, and that's the only way. You cannot get it by paying money, buying indulgences, right. Going through ceremonies, doing penances, praying to Mary, any of that. You can receive righteousness only one way. That is through the grace of Christ by faith. That's the second principle. The third one is called the priesthood of all believers. In the Roman Catholic religion, when you go to the priest and you confess your sin, the priest will give you absolution and then you're forgiven. But Protestantism says, never go to this abomination. And it is an abomination. In Protestantism, a believer prays directly to God in Jesus' name. Directly to the Father. That's what it says in John 16. And then what happens, fellas? And then what happens? Do you know? No. God forgives you directly. You can go directly to Him. Protestants get this doctrine from what we just read, 1 Peter 2.5, that you are a holy priesthood. But also in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, it says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So there's just one. In the Old Covenant, they had many priests, you see. And they were prevented from continuing as your intercessor because they died. They were human beings and they died. But in Hebrews chapter 7, Paul says this priest, referring to Jesus, has an unchangeable priesthood. He lives forever. And so, we only have one high priest in the New Covenant. He's the one mediator between God and man. You go to God directly through faith in Him and you can have forgiveness of sins. And not just that, you can have answers to your prayers. Exercising spiritual violence, beloved, is very, very powerful if you understand it. Because through prayer, trusting in the righteousness of Christ, you can have instant access to the Creator of the universe. Instant access. That's remarkable. And when I say instant, I don't mean just our prayers going up. I mean answers coming back. You can have instant help. When I was looking into Matthew 11, verse 12, and studying this, I realized, you know, as Christians, I don't think we value our privileges like we should. We don't realize what we have. You see, even though I might be vile and degraded, abominable, even though I may have committed 
all kinds of sins. When with a contrite spirit I come to God in Jesus' name, He puts my petition with His own righteousness. And because of His merits, I can receive divine power and help with everything that I ask. And that should bring joy to your heart. You pray. Instantly, there's communication both ways. And that shouldn't really be too hard to understand in our age, should it? You punch in a text message in your phone to somebody who lives eight states away and they receive it within a second. Whatever. You can be, I, I am somebody on the computer and boom. So that shouldn't be too hard to understand, right? If human beings can do it, can God do it? Can He do it instantly? <laughs> You know, it talks about this in symbolic language in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4 and verse 5, this is talking about the throne of God. And in part it says here in verse 5, it says, And out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices. You remember reading that? You ever read that? Out of the throne proceed these things. What are the lightnings and thunderings and the voices? Well, we understand that God is in instantaneous communication with all parts of creation. And this part of the universe right here is a focal point of His operations right now. When you pray, instantly there is divine cognizance of your prayer and there is a response when it's mingled with the righteousness of Jesus. If we could comprehend this, I think we would do a lot more praying than we do because prayer is powerful. 1 Peter 3 verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Friends, i got to tell you, if you have unconfessed sins in your life, there's only one prayer that God will hear, and that's a prayer of repentance. I've got to tell you. Romans 8 verses 31-32 says, What shall we... Then say to these things, If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? And let me close with this, and I appreciate you hanging in with me time-wise. This is an article entitled, Wise or Foolish? Which? As in, which are you? From the Youth's Instructor, January 16, 1896. She says, Our precious Redeemer is standing before the Father as our intercessor and is preparing mansions for all those who believe in Him as their personal Savior. Let those who would meet the divine standards search the Scriptures for themselves that they may have a knowledge of the life of Christ and understand His mission and work. Let them behold Him as their advocate, standing within the veil, having in His hand the golden censer, from which the holy incense of the merits of His righteousness ascends to God in behalf of those who pray to Him. Could they thus behold Him, they would feel an assurance that they have a powerful, influential advocate in the heavenly courts, and that their suit is gained at the throne of God. 
What an experience may be attained at the footstool of mercy, which is the only place of sure refuge. You may discern the fact that God is back of His promises and not dread the issue of your prayers, or doubt that Jesus is standing at your surety and substitute. As you confess your sins, as you repent of your iniquity, Christ takes your guilt upon Himself and imputes to you His own righteousness and power. To those who are contrite in spirit, He gives the golden oil of love and the rich treasures of His grace. It is then that you may see that the sacrifice of self to God through the merits of Christ makes you of infinite value. For clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness, you become the sons and daughters of God. Those who approach the Father, recognizing the bow of promise, and ask forgiveness in the name of Jesus, will receive their request. At the very first expression of penitence, Christ presents the humble suppliant's petition before the throne as His own desire in the sinner's behalf. He says, I will pray the Father for you. Beloved, isn't that good news? If you are the worst sinner around, if you will come to your Heavenly Father in Jesus' name and confess and repent, divine power instantaneously comes into your life. Not just forgiveness, but divine power. It comes into your life enabling you to live a new life. The incense, the fragrance that represents Christ's mediation, His merits, His righteousness, the fragrance of His life can be placed into your life through the personal exercise of spiritual violence. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for someone else. You have to exercise that spiritual violence yourself. I want to receive that fragrance into my life. What about you? We have a wonderful privilege. And if we're going to be ready for what's coming, you know, we talk a lot about the time of trouble. We talk about all the trials and not being able to buy and sell and preparing for all these things, all the things that are going to happen in the last day. But if we're going to be ready for all of that, we're going to have to know how to pray. We're going to have to experience God's promises in our life. We're going to have to know how to exercise spiritual violence. Not spiritual rebellion. Spiritual violence. Do you want victory over your besetting sins? Do you want the Lord to move mountains from your pathway? Do you? Trust Him. Claim His promises that He's given you and step out in faith and act on them. It's actually a pretty simple principle. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I hope that Scripture has a little new meaning for you today. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank You so very, very much for Your promises. We know, hopefully we know, that You don't make them arbitrarily. 
that you really do care for us. And we see this at Calvary. We see that you've poured all heaven into our salvation. So, Father, please forgive us. I pray for those here, those who can hear my voice, those who are watching. I pray for them that are discouraged in heart. Lord, we believe, help thou our unbelief. I pray that you encourage them to step out in faith. We fight a battle against a foe who has been defeated. We just don't believe it. Help us to believe it. And help us to act. Help us to exercise this spiritual violence, Lord, in earnestness. May we have a relationship with you that is consistent. May we claim the promises and act upon them. We thank you, Father, for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit this day and for being able to fellowship in spirit and in truth. Continue to walk with us, Lord, as we claim these promises and keep our eyes upon Jesus. We ask it in His name. Amen.